1: Welcome to the Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 168. Tonight, we're going to talk about asset allocation. We still do have Dave with us here tonight, um, but I'm going to be asking him some questions on asset allocation. It's something he's been working on behind the scenes for several months. And so it's a very important topic. We definitely get questions related to this all the time. I think a lot of times... Investors don't know that they need to learn about asset allocation. Um, embedded in their question might be thoughts about asset allocation. So Dave, first we'll start. Um, let's say somebody is either just got an inheritance as an example, or maybe saved for many years. And, you know, we're talking about a life savings and they're getting close to retirement. So in either situation, there might be different. Ways of looking at the portfolio. So when somebody's looking at a situation like that where they have a significant sum and either, you know, the timeline's kind of shrunk or the sum they have now needs to last them for the rest of their life. Let's say what kind of things give me an example of something that's different from somebody else who's maybe putting a portion away every month and what, why that's, why that's different in that case. Well, it really depends on the timeline.
0: And that's something that you uh, brought up. It it really comes down to the timeline and where you are and what your goal is. So, for example, uh, let's say that somebody comes into an inheritance and they have quite a bit of money, but maybe they're 10, 15 years away from retirement and they want to use that money to last until uh, they go into the great gig in the sky or however you want to put that. Uh, the that really has a big impact on what it is and how you set up your portfolio. And some of the things that I've been learning about the asset allocation are seem intuitive and seem natural. But when we sit down and actually have to put numbers to situations, it becomes a little more difficult. And one of the things that you have to think about is, for example, let's say that you're 10 years away from retiring and you got a big chunk of money and you want to do something with it. Well, there's several things you have to think about. The first thing you have to think about is how much risk can I tolerate? So in other words, how much volatility and how much ups and downs can I really take and how much do I really want to, I guess, gamble on there being drawdowns or the stock market Falling right before I go into retirement, and that would be uh, to say the least an extreme bummer and so when you 're thinking about your portfolio, you have to think about how can, how kinds of what kinds of things that I, do I want to allocate my money to so for example, if you're closer to retirement starting to think about having safer funds or having less volatile stocks to invest in is something that you really want to strongly consider uh, looking at a, an allocation of there's the, the popular portfolio, which a lot of people talk about, which was for a long time was kind of considered the standard and that was the 60 40. And really what that meant was depending on where you were in your timeline of retiring you would want to put 60% of your money in stocks and 40% in some sort of fixed income, whether it was bonds or anything of that nature, CDs, bank accounts, things of that nature, whatever we're going to be safer, more stable income earners that are not going to be as volatile. And the reason for all that is because over the long term, as Andrew and I have talked about, stocks are going to have greater returns. The flip side of that is they also have more volatility. In other words, you're going to see periods where the stock market overall is not going to do as well. For example, we just all went through a horrible period in March where we thought the sky was going to fall and everything crashed, in some cases, 30, 40, 50% in days, which is unheard of. Now, it's all rebounded very quickly for the most part not everything there are still some sectors that are still are still struggling ie banks and insurance companies but by and large especially if you're in tech those have all soared uh through over the last 5 or 6 months but by and large, there's been there was a huge drawdown, and then it's kind of all rebounded. But that's now that's not always been the case. Uh, in the 2000s, uh, when the the market burst, uh, it did rebound, but it took a while for it to rebound. And then all of a sudden, we turned around and had the great financial crisis in 2007 to 2009. And you saw in that case anywhere from 30 to 50 percent, 60 percent losses, and then it took years for that to get back. Uh, I read today that if you had it lost all of your, you know, if you had gone through a, a, a drawdown in 2000, it would have taken until 2013 to get back to the same level. And that's with being invested in equities and stocks. Now, the bond market has, it generally is correlated reversely of stocks. So generally, when stocks go down, the, the, the bond market goes up and it, it kind of functions on a teeter totter. And that's why when you are looking at a portfolio like that, the 60 40, for example, that helps you balance everything out so that when your stocks are going through a rough time, your bonds can do better and can help keep the portfolio going. So the stock market generally overall, has returned between eight to 10% over, over the last 80 to a hundred years. When you look at a portfolio breakdown of something like a 60, 40, for example, the returns on that kind of portfolio over the same time period has been around eight to eight and a half percent, depending on which equities you choose. And so that tells you that it doesn't make as much money as a hundred percent portfolio would, for example, but it does do pretty well with a lot less volatility. In other words, when you go to bed at night, you're not laying up, laying in bed, stressing about wondering if your five stocks that you have in your stock market, in your stock portfolio are going to crash tomorrow because you've been reading about all these horrible things that are going to happen or it already had to start to fall and you wonder if it's going to continue. And so when you're looking at constructing portfolios, those are some of the questions you have to think about. So how close are you to retirement? How much volatility can I handle? How much ups and downs can I really handle? And also, what kind of risk do I want to take? Uh, I'm not a huge proponent of more risk means more returns. I'm more thinking of risk along the lines of how much money can I possibly lose over a period of time before it rebounds and how patient can I be with the bonds that I've chosen and how long can I allow those things to be down before they recover. As a whole, if you're in the market and you stay in the market, Andrew and I have talked about this many times, where things go down, even if you buy at the lowest point or the highest point and lose, if you stay in the market, you're still going to win. So overall, you're going to do well. But when you're talking about asset allocation and all those aspects of it, as much as it, as we want to talk about picking stocks, it also comes down to how you kind of diversify your portfolio such that you have different kinds of assets in your portfolio. Now there are, a million different kinds of variations on all the different asset allocations that you can go. Sixty forty used to be the standby. Uh, I was actually listening to a video of the interviewed John Bogle, who was the director, the creator of, of Vanguard and is really kind of the, I guess, the early proponent of the idea that you need to have some sort of asset allocation, kind of like what we're talking about. And he was saying that 70-30 or even 80-20 in today's world is actually probably similar to the 60-40. And that, a lot of that has to do with the impact of the low interest, interest rates and the Fed's involvement in trying to prop up the markets over the last 10, 12 years. And so he thinks that some of that has changed. But generally, as a rule, to go back to what we were talking about at the beginning before I went on a tangent, sorry about that, uh, was... Looking at the asset allocation that you want to have and how much of your portfolio you want to put in the stocks. Now, along with all that, you have to choose the different stocks and the different bonds that you want to have in the portfolio. Now you can simply just go with one stock ETF and one bond ETF if you want to go that simple. But if you want to try to beat the returns that the market is going to get then you have to choose different stocks and you have to choose different bonds and have different kinds of of mixes of all those things to help you get the best that you can possibly get
1: that was was a lot it's good um let's let's back up for a second i think um there's obvious things that i can pick about uh once you mentioned that with the recommendation at the end but uh i feel like we don't talk about bonds enough and um You know there are good benefits for diversifying your asset classes, particularly when, like you said, you don't have a long enough time frame necessarily to either wait out a stock market crash or you know if you need income or you need some of that money. Whether you have the patience or not, sometimes you just have to sell out. And so, if, if you have too much in stocks. I can see where, you know, you would lock in some losses and that would not be ideal. Um, so can you talk about bonds and, you know, sometimes or, you know, generally, like you said, bonds can go inverse of stocks, but sometimes they can also fall in price, even when stocks fall in price. But when bonds fall in price, it's like a way different story than when stocks fall in price. So can you talk about? bonds a little bit, why they have those features, why they're different from stocks, and then why that's beneficial for an asset allocation.
0: Yeah. Um, so bonds are probably one of the, I guess, on the side of one of the least understood assets uh, that people get involved with. And there's a, a myriad of ways that you can get involved with bonds. Uh, you can go the, the corporate bond route. You can go the municipal bond route. Uh, you can go down the rabbit hole of looking at treasuries and, and all the different int- intricacies of all those. But really the, the main, I guess, aspect of, of a bond is the fact that it's, uh, it's a debt. So what it is, is this, think of it as a loan. So when you hand over your hundred dollars to buy a treasury, for example, the, the United States government is giving you an IOU for that $100. Now, what's happening is is that you're not just going to give them the $100 just because you're a nice person. You're giving them the $100 because you expect something back in return. And the return is generally comes in the form of a coupon or a dividend or anything of that nature. So really what's happening is is that when you buy a bond, you're buying income that you're going to get every six months from the bondholder, whether it's the United States government or whether it's Microsoft, it doesn't really matter. They're going to pay you for the privilege of you loaning them that money. And now, depending on how long the duration is of the particular bond, you're going to get that money back. So if you give them $100, you're going to get $100 back. Now you can buy and sell bonds on an m- open market, just like anything else. Now the trick with buying and selling bonds is that it is generally you got to, you get, you're going to have to float out there with, with a big hunk of money because by and large, most bonds are sold in the a thousand to $10,000 range for groups of them. And so you're not always able to just buy a share like you can a stock. So when you buy the bonds, you have to, you have to pay the full, uh, sticker price or a par value is what they call. Now, sometimes the, the par value of those will, they trade just like stocks do. And sometimes they rise and sometimes they fall. And it, a lot of it depends on the interest rates. And when the interest rates are low, then the prices of stock, I'm sorry, bonds will rise and vice versa. Now, that also inversely correlates with the yields of the bonds. And that really what that means is the returns that you're going to get on the bond. And so as the yields go up, you get a greater return. And as the yields go down, you get a lesser return. And because of that whole correlation to interest rates, the stock market is kind of inversely correlated with that. So in other words, when the interest rates go down, then the bond market suffers, but the stock market generally surges and, le- and vice versa because of the way of the, the debt works. Because the way the debt works is when you borrow something at a low interest rate, it means you can use that money and it costs you less to pay it back. Whereas when you're borrowing the money and it costs you more to pay it back, it becomes less efficient. And so when you're dealing with debt, which is what bonds are, and we're not talking about like a car loan or, you know, Guido's not going to come knocking at your door if you miss your payments. You've already made the payment for the debt and you own that debt and they are they have to contractually pay you back for it. So when you're talking about investing in bonds, really what you're looking at is for the most part, people invest in bonds looking for a return via a dividend or a coupon payment. And that's the, that's the main source of income. You can make money off of trading from the price growth or fall of bonds, but most people invest in bonds for the, the fixed income. And the reason why you call it a fixed income is because when you buy a bond and it has a 3% coupon, that means that they have to pay you a 3% return over the life of the, the bond that you, that you buy. So let's say that you buy a 10 year bond, then over the life of that bond, if you buy it a $1000 bond they're going to pay you $30 over the over the 10 years of that bond and that's fixed income it won't go up it won't go down uh that will never change the, the the 3% that you're going to get from from the yield on that bond will not change the yield can change based on the price of the bond so as it rises or falls that yield could change but the $30 that you're going to get will stay the same irregardless. And so that's why they refer to these things as fixed income. And so when you're looking at investing in those types of securities, just like investing in a stock, you're looking for that return. And the nice thing about investing in bonds, especially when the market is so fluid and there's so many things going up and down, is that is guaranteed money that you know you're going to get. Every single six months and every year, you're going to get your payment from your bonds. And obviously, if you have more than one bond that pays you $30 over over 10 years, you're obviously going to make more income. But as you look at increasing that portion of your portfolio to bonds, that means that you can generate more fixed income from those bonds. So does that help answer that question? When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a Smarter Travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial.
1: It does. I guess the one thing I would feel nervous about, you mentioned how interest rates and bond prices can um, move with each other when uh, the interest rates can Can move the bond prices so you know that sounds like the stock market why is it different what's the best way to get started in the market download andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com
0: it's really it's it's different in the fact that different bonds are going to move differently so a perfect example of this is something that uh, is called a junk bond Now, a junk bond, uh, or another term for it, which is maybe not so derogatory, is a high-yield bond. Uh, High-yield bonds are more closely correlated to the stock market than other corporate bonds are. So, for example, if you're looking at a bond that has a junk rating. Uh, I'll give you a, so we'll throw this out. Tesla has bonds that they sold that were junk rated. Those are co- more closely tied to the performance of the equity of Tesla than let's say, for example, Microsoft, which has a AAA rating and their bonds are very, very, very safe. Now their stock price is You know, has some volatility to it, but if their stock price goes up or down, the bond is not going to change much because of that. And the reason for that is the bond is tied to the debt of the company. And the stronger the company is, and the less chance of default there is for the company, the less correlation there is to the stock price of the company. So, for example, because Microsoft has such a strong balance sheet and is such a strong financial position, they have really no correlation to the bond in in respect to the stock market. Whereas Tesla, because they are, for all the different reasons that we've talked about before, they're a very, very... Financially unstable company, and the bonds are closely related to that. Because if the company goes bankrupt, then the bonds have a very good chance of not getting paid. In other words, if you paid hundred dollars for a bond of Tesla, there's a there's a, a very good chance that if the company goes bankrupt and they if they have to sell everything, there's a chance you won't get your money back. Whereas if Microsoft is in the same situation, you're almost assured of getting your money back. And so there, therein lies the correlation of bonds to
1: stocks. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That was a great explanation on that. So I guess moving forward, you know, we've presented a big problem with, you know, let's say a limited time frame where we're talking about asset allocation of a large amount, maybe you need to draw from the money, maybe you don't, but a limited time frame or a similar kind of need where uh, volatility needs to be reduced. So, you know, we presented the problem, you've presented a solution of allocating partly towards fixed income like bonds and how that can help um, during... Stock market drawdowns. Is there anything else we're missing from that picture so far? Um, there's a couple things. So uh, the first thing is
0: not only do you have to think about th- how the portfolio is constructed, i.e. versus uh, equities versus some sort of fixed income. Uh, there's also you have to think about the assets that you have under each umbrella. So for example, if we're talking about stocks, I am very comfortable thinking about companies that are involved in financial industries, whether it's banks, insurance companies, those kinds of things. If I have a portfolio full of all just banks, for example – my returns are going to be very closely tied to that particular sector of the market. And that can lead to a lot of volatility. It can lead to a lot of poor performance, especially if that particular sector of the market is beaten up for a, a long period of time. Uh, let's take, for example, looking at the travel industry recently. If you had the majority of your stock picks in that aspect of the, the market, you would struggle for a while. Recently, Carnival has started sailing cruises uh, in Italy. I, I saw that in the news today, and their, their stock price, you know, did did well today. But the long term prospects for that company are closely tied to everything that's going on with COVID. And same thing with the airlines. Same thing with the movie theaters. All those kinds of things that are tied to entertainment are very closely aligned to what's going on with the pandemic. And so when you have a large majority of your portfolio tied into one sector, then you're going to run in, you could run into potential problems. Uh, The likewise, the same, same would fall with bonds. If you have all of your portfolio in bonds are all in junk bonds, then they're all going to be closely correlated to what happens in the stock market because of what we were talking about a moment ago with Tesla and Microsoft. Likewise, if you have all of your bonds allocated to only corporate bonds, then you're going to suffer a lower returns because you don't have enough allocation in other things that can make you a little bit more money, albeit with a little more risk. So you have to kind of, you have to learn to how to try to, to balance it. And I'm going to go back to something Warren Buffett said. Uh, Warren Buffett. Uh, when he talks about when he t- when he talked about let me rephrase that when he talked about asset allocation, he felt like in the early stages of his career that Alice asset allocation was something that people that were not comfortable investing in the stock market was was something that they would lean on. But as he got older, he noticed and I noticed that his portfolio in. Berkshire Hathaway as well as Berkshire Hathaway itself diversified. And you think about all the companies that Buffett owns now. Uh, he owns insurance, obviously. He also owns railroads and banks, but he also owns things like Dairy Queen and construction companies and tool air, airline companies that make tools for for airlines he has a wide range of different businesses under his umbrella now and the same thing with his investments in the stock market and so he has he's diversified so that his companies now are can handle different kinds of stresses that things go on and that's one of the things that people sometimes get so focused on maybe all the stock picks that they forget about the asset allocation part of it. And the other part of it is sometimes they focus so much on the asset allocation that they forget about the stock picking part of it. So you kind of have to have all of those things combined. And then the third thing you have to think about is how you rebalance the portfolios. And there are several methods to doing this. And some of the things that I've come across in my research is uh, a lot of people look at, uh, for example, I have I have a 401k. When I worked at Wells Fargo, I have a 401k. And they automatically at, uh, adjusted the portfolio for me every six months. And what they did was is they took part of the portfolio that was doing really well, and they would sell that. And the money that they would make from that, they would use to buy things that weren't doing so well. So by doing that, they were selling high and buying low, which is what all investors want to do. It was awesome. Uh, at first, I didn't realize that, but then it, it kind of struck me one day when I was talking to uh, the financial advisor in a branch that I worked at, and I was like, wow, that's brilliant. And so that's one of the things that a lot of people don't think about when you start with your asset allocation. It's not just setting it and making your stock picks, picking your bonds, and then off I go to the races. Uh, you have to look at it from time to time to make sure that, Those aspects of the portfolio are staying within the realm of what you want it to stay in. Because what can happen is, for example, let's say you buy a company, company A, and the stock goes crazy and goes through the, through the roof. And maybe it was 10% of your portfolio. And then you turn around and five years later, it's now 42% of your portfolio. So now. All of your wealth is tied up in this one particular company. Well, God forbid something happens with that company, and now all of a sudden you lose everything. And it can happen. It's happened. It could happen. But if you look at balancing and rebalancing the portfolio on a periodic basis, it doesn't have to be every month, and it shouldn't be every month. But if you do it every six months or if you do it once a year, then those kinds of things can help you keep the portfolio in the percentages Or at least in the realm of percentages that you want to, to keep the, the, the goal going, you know, the ball going where you want it to go.
1: I think, yeah, that's such a huge, like a huge, not caveat, but it's, it's really a huge distinction that needs to be made. I mean, there's a big difference between 40% of a portfolio and you still have 25, 30 years to retirement, right? Where you're still going to be putting in a lot of money into a 401k or a Roth IRA. Um, and you have a lot of catch up money and deposits and stuff like that, where that huge position size will start to decrease as time goes on. Whereas where you're talking about right. 40% of somebody's lifetime wealth, and maybe that, that needs to be the phrase we use when when we talk about, you know, where's asset allocation, not only like most helpful, but it, it's like life support. In a way, you know, like you if, if you're talking about lifetime wealth and, and managing lifetime wealth, whether through an inheritance, whether through life savings accumulated over decades, right? That's a huge thing and and one little one big major piece of anything that you discussed that's missing can lead to huge losses of lifetime wealth that can be way more detrimental than the fact that we you pick a wrong stock tomorrow or something like that.
0: Right, exactly. And if you make make a mistake and you pick one bad stock and it doesn't perform and it happens to all of us, uh, there's nobody that is perfect, including myself. And we will make mistakes from time to time. But the trick is to learn from them and cut your losses and move on. But if you allow... Things to grow out of proportion, then those kinds of situations can become a problem. And those are the kinds of things that when you're managing your portfolio, you have, you have to take into consideration because like you're saying, there, there's so much to risk and there's so much possibility now. When you're like me and you're, you know, 53 and you're closer to retirement than Andrew is, you know, he's still a young and you make a mistake with one company and it doesn't do as well. You have time to recover. But when you're getting like I am and you're getting closer to the, to the, the goal of being able to lay on a beach and, you know, drink Mai Tais all day, uh, then, Paying more attention to those things is is a lot more vital and having to think about how I want to allocate the money that I have because it has a bearing on not only the money that you have now, but the money that you're going to have 15, 20, 25 years from now. And if you want to leave money to relatives, if you have a kid you want to help pay through school or any of those kinds of things, those are all things that you have to take into consideration and think about how you want to manage and adjust all these things. And it's not just about buying something and selling something. It's also about the the choices that you make and what kind of sectors you want to put the money in and what kinds of risk that you really want to to go with. And there's nothing wrong with going with you know, more bonds than, than equities, if that's what you're comfortable with. But it really comes down to what are your goals and how do you want to set things up and how much of this do you really want to manage?
1: So I know we've been working behind the scenes on, on something related to this. Maybe this would be a good time to talk about and kind of intro what's been going on behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Andrew and I have uh, been thinking about this for a while, and we have felt like there has been a need to help people with constructing portfolios and looking at asset allocations and different aspects of building a portfolio. So uh, I have put together a newsletter that we're going to release once a month that will have different Ideas of different companies and, and stocks as well as bonds and helping them construct a portfolio that they can follow along that I will be putting my mo- own money into as well. And this is really more geared towards people that are looking for help building a portfolio and not just picking stocks, but helping look at the different asset allocations they could, they could have. And how do I really construct a portfolio and as we're getting closer to the finish line, uh, this will be something that can help people that are really struggling with that aspect of of investing. And these are things that I've been doing for a while now. And this is something that Andrew and I have talked a lot about and we feel like this is the right time to try to help people with that are kind of in the same situation that I am, that are they're closer to the 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 retirement age and they have larger funds that they want to use, and they want to look at trying to find great picks that they can use, as well as bonds, as well as you know a safer aspect to the portfolio. And they just have different goals. And we thought that this would be a great way to help people.
1: So what's it called? Fat Pitch Fundamentals. Yep. I'm really excited for it. Obviously, I love the, the, the hat tip to Warren Buffett being an patient investor there with the fat pitch aspect. Um, I will be contributing to the newsletter as well. I will be covering industry weightings of the S&P 500 in the very first issue. I'll also be covering the currency developments with the U.S. dollar and also looking at geographic segments. And so I think the newsletter we're providing does offer great value from that perspective. Obviously you get to hear from me, you get to hear from Dave, and I know Dave's gonna have a lot of great insight into a lot of the problems that come with asset allocation and how to deal with that while still incorporating all of the principles and fundamentals that we try to teach on the podcast. Things like buying stocks with the margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, things like being patient for the long term, but also understanding that, you know, you're trying to limit volatility. I think all of those things are can, can be hard to manage, but we're hoping with what we've come up with that it's it's something that that pushes that forward for a lot of people. Yeah, thank you. I think I think that's uh, that that.
0: Very eloquently say is what we're, what we're trying to do. Basically, it comes down to we feel like that there's a need and we want to try to help people. And we feel like this is probably the best way that we can go about trying to, to throw something out there that can help people, uh, with, with the struggles that they've been having. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for tonight. I hope you enjoyed our conversation on asset allocation and you guys learned a thing or two. If you have any questions, please let us know. We're here to help. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. and We'll talk to you all next week.
1: We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today